one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the NXT review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick. Here to look back on everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Where we not only review NXT but also Raw, SmackDown, AEW Dynamite pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on wrestle jazz i said they're joined by hamlet and Sidgwick to review nxt what do you make of it michael hamlet not so good not so good did you ever see the um weezer video of buddy holly where they made it seem like they were an episode of happy days and then yes. at the end of the video the, the last sort of remaining actors from happy days that were still willing to do it or at least look like themselves there's al the owner of the diner and one of the characters and i was like hey did you try the fish and like he was like yeah not so good al and i'll sort of mimics it and goes yeah not so good al yeah, but he can't like not agree. Like the fish is so objectively awful that even he knows he's just sold it. It's terrible. I feel like if after the show I went up to Paul and he was like, "What do you think of the show?" I thought it was like, "Not so good, Paul." He'd go, just knocked out this garbage to our show. We've this is not this like usual whinging daddy boys. Me, me, me. Like we've been full of praise for this lately. Even me. Even Cedric, even Cedric, full of praise for the product. Not just a good bash, but a good build to a good bash. This was a bad episode of television, Wilborn. And I can't do the fake, as Cedric pointed out yesterday, the, yeah, but with a little bit of panic in my voice. I, I can't even do like any false positivity on this one. This was not a good episode at all. I did not enjoy it either. But there's certain things that I ask for in a good pro wrestling show. And on Wednesday nights, I usually get all of them, which is why I'm so high on it. Hot matches, good promos to build to other hot matches, good angles to build to other hot matches, a sense of suspense, just intrigue, where are things going? Like little, really amusing moments of creativity. I literally can't think of a single one of those criteria that was presented on the show to me at all. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. The only thing I would say is in my scopers you know a, a podcast promoter i was like i quite like that insofar as 
I've got a lot of headlines I can write for this. Like, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. I'm not sure if it was any good, but stuff <laughs> happened. So there we go. Uh, and, uh, well, we'll get to, to Vink and his winning streak in due course. Come on. Uh, let's start with the uh, the opener. It was Dakota Kai versus Ember Moon, seemingly out of nowhere. Presumably they just went, yeah, uh, you're the half. Not only has gone to the main roster, but also she's misplaced her last name. So uh, we'll have to just haul you into a match with Dakota Kai. And I sort of get what they were going for a bit here. It's just a shame that they had to use Ember Moon as a sort of sacrificial lamb. So it's Dakota Kai and Ember Moon. They obviously work well together. Uh, a few iffy spots in there, but uh, exciting stuff in, in there as well. Like they spill to the outside and Moon flies through the ropes and then uh, hits a drop kick from the apron to knock down Dakota Kai. Uh, Kai posts her as we go to the break. Posts her a couple of times actually during the break uh, until Moon fires back up. Uh, hits a, I think it was a super Frankensteiner for a two count. Uh, but in the end, Kai manages to catch Moon and hit her with the GTK as Moon is draped over the top rope for the one, two, three. But this win is immediately overshadowed by the fact that Zaya Lee comes out to confront and challenge Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship, a match, I believe, actually, that will go down next week. Um yeah, so I, I I think that's what they were going for, right? Here, Hamflet, in terms of the Dakota Kai is still good and can get these decent victories. But from her perspective, no one will remember that because they're going to focus on her mate who's got the title. So that pisses her off a little bit. And uh, the forthcoming match with, with Zia Lee, they're going for it, Hamflet. Yeah, if um if that messaging sort of wasn't clear just by the layout, it was by the fact that Zaylee breezed past Dakota Kai, and you could see Dakota Kai looking a little bit aggrieved, and rightfully so, having had that match that she was just heading straight for Raka Gonzalez. Like, don't hate that, by the way. Don't hate the booking particularly. Um, it's all a bit out of nowhere, and it's all very oh, we're just having a title shot because we're having a title shot. Oh, it's convenient for a, a wider story that are telling with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. It doesn't feel particularly earned by Zia Lee. If anything, it feels a bit daft. feels like it's trivialising the title a little bit because we talked about, well, when do you actually point that character towards the belt? And she didn't feel anywhere near there. They hadn't done the necessary work to do it. So if anything, it feels like Zia Lee is just going to be used as a device to tell more of the Kai and Gonzalez story. Um, it None of this was helped for me by a match that I don't think particularly worked. This was as lethargic as Triple H must feel when his plans are torn up by Dad. Like, he's sending out Ember Moon and Dakota Kai to have a match that features quote-unquote action and quote-unquote good wrestling. And I don't really think they arrived at it. It was, you kind of pointed out in your review there, it was a little bit sloppy at mm. points. Like, it was a little bit clunky and... It, like people are going to have bad nights. Dakota Kai and Ember Moon have had enough good matches to let you know that like, these are the outliers compared to the good stuff they do. But they just never got there for me. There was a point at which Ember Moon, I think it was off the Hurricane Rana, tried to do the Shawn Michaels, what have I become? How am I going to win this match thing? And it was ludicrous. It was absolutely, it was like, you cannot put this in a, in a match like this from a spot like that. You just, I know NXT doesn't earn them anymore, but that was taking the piss. <laughs> so I, I kind of actively didn't enjoy this. And aye, the booking was all right at the end because we can we can see the bigger story. Like NXT can still do this, but this was hampered by a lot of clunky things. Poor to good, I guess, is how I would succinctly summarise this match. Um, as both of you pointed out, there were various moments of hesitation which broke the immersion. Elements of the action were good, I guess, but 
it's we're talking base level as we have for quite some time. Ember Moon's got a crack in low pay. Um, top rope runner was good, but as Hample pointed out, what a criminal, criminal kick out face that was. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching that kick out face, I wasn't just like laughing because it was risible, but I, I could not help but think, like, do they not? How do they not know? How at this point do they lack the self awareness to realize, Jesus Christ, everyone takes a piss out of this? Everyone takes the piss out of this spot and uses it as shorthand to bury us. And it's because they live in a bubble. Um, criminal, like it was so bad. Like it wasn't a, it's a quote unquote spectacular move, but spectacular has been normalized. And even in this context, it didn't come at the end of like a 25 minute war where you've just drained everything in your tank and you have to think, what have I done left? Like it's a cliched face that was applied in such piss poor fashion here because it was just something to do. It was like, oh, Christ, well, what a beat her. But, you know, she's got to look good. Oh, let's have her make it seem like she's put in the fight of her life. It's like eight minutes and an absolutely mid as hell NXT match and you're doing that face. If you're going to do it, at least do it in a context that makes it make a little bit of sense. A cliche for cliche's sake, um, a clunky, hesitant match, albeit with some half-decent action. The post-match it really comes to something how much time they've wasted with this goofy Chan act because they've built it for ages. They've done all right in sports entertainment parameters to make it feel a bit momentous. And this woman has literally concussed someone by kicking her opponent in the face. And yet she still doesn't resemble even the slightest threat to me. Um, so a bit of a waste of time. The match itself was mid not a good start to the show. Yeah, I couldn't decide whether this was ghoulish or you know inappropriate or not. But like you say, Zia Lee, for for maybe the casual fans wasn't really introduced. It was just like, oh, that's Zia Lee, and I, I don't know whether it would have worked or not to be like she bloody KO'd Mercedes Martinez last week and or two weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, and and maybe sell that as you know, all right. I know that there's, look, there's a massive size discrepancy here, but. Zia Lee's got the great equaliser in that boot of hers. And, you know, Mercedes Martinez has dominated everyone. But if Zia Lee hits her with that kick, it, it sort of lights out. I don't know whether that would be inappropriate or, or not, Sitch, but something to sell the match more than just, I'm challenging you. Basically, with how long they've spent building Zia Lee and how long they've built establishing Raquel Gonzalez, even if that kick hadn't happened, mm you should still have been able to infer from the stare down that this is a big deal. By just putting pure maths on it, how long they've spent respectively building these characters and the fact that this totally fell flat is an indictment of what little long-term booking NXT actually does. The um, the Raquel Gonzalez title reign, slightly underwhelming at present. Like with that in mind, they're not going to do Dakota Kai turning next week and actually switch the belt, are they? Like and set up a big summer program between Kai and Gonzalez. Like I don't feel this title run is hitting the way that maybe people would have expected, ourselves included. Like, um, not an amazing like array of matches thus far, but an angle that people are at least very invested in between Kai and Gonzalez. This isn't an opportunity to try and see what they've actually got with Zia Lee and like do a shock TV. Like it would completely 
babyface Gonzalez after the fact as well, wouldn't it? Like she's been screwed by a mate on television in a shot that she was expected to win. Um, you know, like Gonzalez hasn't turned babyface, but they don't tend to keep belts on babyfaces for that long in NXT. <laughs> it's, I don't like it's. The more I think about it, as we're talking about it here, the more I wonder if they might just mm. flip it for the for the shock for the shock of the moment. You know, it's entirely possible. Um, yeah. I hope not, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's very much within their wheelhouse to do something like this. And it is, in WWE's eyes, this week or next week is a big, fresh start for everything. So who who bloody knows? Uh, right, let's move on to uh, a show-long thing with uh, Cameron Grimes as the Million Dollar Man, LA Knight's butler. Um, it, I did like the to the broom line. Just I bet you quite, did. <laughs> it wasn't quite. Clean. I you wrote it. It wasn't, it wasn't quite clean the spoons. Clean the spoons was just, just there was just something perfect about that. Um, because you said it. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, I was trying to get there. Um, LA Knight says, right, before we do anything, we've got to sort you out. We're going to get a makeover. And I honestly, for a split second, I had my heart in my mouth. I was like, oh my God, are they just suddenly going to decide we're cutting Gamron Grimes' hair and like shaving his beard? Thankfully, it was just a, a trim to tidy things up. And then he puts him in a, uh, what's it called? Penguin suit, tux, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Thinks like, oh, maybe not like a twat here. Turns, turns the mirror around and then Grimes just absolutely loves it, basically. He's like, oh, sweet, free makeover. I quite enjoyed these segments, understandably, Sid. What did you make of it? I mean, you'll never take Cameron Grimes seriously as a top-level babyface ever again. And maybe that's okay. It's a mid-card programme and Cameron Grimes is good at what he does. I booked this, so I enjoyed it to a degree. Um, but it's just... Wacky comedy that just I'm not into it anymore. Like, I'm just not. I can't I, pretend to be enthusiastic. It was halfway amusing because I like the characters involved and I will watch it in the moment like, ah, ah, I'm entertained by this. But it's just inessential wacky fluff in it at the end of the day. Yeah, I wasn't laughing. I was liking it, but I wasn't laughing. And I've, I'll take that because I kind of, I've felt myself tiring of this generally lately anyway. They are, they're dragging, um, not so much an idea, but they're dragging a rivalry well beyond its expiration date. Um, but they're doing a good job of obscuring that for the time being. Like there's not many weeks of this before you're going to need something new for both LA Knight and Cameron Grimes. Uh, but aye, there was there was worse week ones than this as far as Butler, Butler stuff goes. So... I'll take it. Uh, more Malcolm Bivens on TV. Always good to see. He's putting over Diamond Mine in a, in a backstage thing, uh, talking about how great they are. And he's confronted by Bobby Fish, who fancies a match. And they were teased Bobby Fish versus Roderick Strong, but not quite yet. Instead, uh, Bivens books Bobby Fish against Tyler Rust, who, I don't know if I've said this before, he looks like a jacked uh, Simon Pegg with long hair. I've, I've just noticed that. Sid is uh, close to quitting the call like he was again yesterday. Dawn of the Dead patter. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll tweet it. Has anyone else noticed this? <laughs> um, you know they're doing a long-term storyline with that Hangman Page. Uh, anyway, uh, Tyler <laughs> Ross versus Bobby Fish. Uh, got an enjoyable uh, brief match that they had uh 
Fish is is doing well for himself. Uh, he's, he's hits an exploder suplex into the ropes on Tyler Rust. But in the midst of all that, Roderick Strong jumps up on the apron. There's a there's a face-off between Fish and, and, and Strong, and that allows uh, Rust to hit a chop block on Fish and then hit him with that buzzsaw kick for the one, two, three. Post-match, everyone in Diamond Mind steps in. Looks like they're going to destroy uh, Bobby Fish, but who should come out to make the save? But one, Kushida, who runs down, backs him up, and it sets up a tag match going forward. What did you think of the setup for this and the execution in terms of the match, Hamlet? Uh, it was all all right. Um, Kashida's the guy they're feuding with. So the tag match is relatively organic. Of course, it would be him that would come and make the save for Bobby Fish because he's the one that wants revenge on the group. So I, I can't complain too much about that. What this match failed to do was, like, whoever put this together, like, forgot that they also had a tag match to promote next week. Like, Kashida can save Bobby Fish from a beatdown, but Bobby Fish has just been beaten like, two minutes. Mm. It was almost sure, too man. short to sell you. Yeah, like to sell you on a competitive tag match with the same components plus Kushida next week or whenever the, the tag match is, this wasn't enough. Like, I I get the intent. I don't, I don't want to be too critical of them trying to get over the diamond mine and Tyler Rust as strong and dominant and together because better that than they're not be able to get along after two weeks. You know, like, <laughs> far, like commit, commit to the bit. Absolutely. But if you're going to then commit to Bobby Fish in a tag match the following week, maybe don't have him get like just flattened. Like, <laughs> There might be more of this, but I doubt there is. I just feel like it was a bit of an oversight to make this as short as it was. There was there was like nothing particularly to take from the match, and now they're trying to sell me on another version of it. So I, I think it missed in that regard. But like, I don't mind the diamond mine. I suppose, Siege, their their excuses. Well, Bobby Fish was was doing well, was relatively in control, but the you know numbers, distractions, etc. They, they, that's got he's got an excuse. I mean, I guess, but this happens in like, what, 70% of North American pro wrestling TV matches. You just have to do better if you want to do better. And it just felt like they cared nothing about Bobby Fish. And that was infectious um, because I didn't either. Legitimately thought, I was almost stunned by how quickly he was dispatched. Um, chicanery interference aside, um, I was very much given the message, he's going to be nothing going forward which is a shame because they're probably going to book him to do something at some point else. And I'm just going to think, well, I'll remember that. I'm not a goldfish. Um, I like Bivens' promo. Um, he, using one word to describe each of his men, as charges, established the dynamic of the group. Mm. Really good stuff. You've got the killer, the guy who coaches killers, and the prospect who might one day become a killer. Very, very good. Yeah. Very economical. Um, but economical was the word for that match. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, Bobby Fish, he's not the most sprightly of chaps. He's probably not the most over-marketable of chaps, but, you know, he's got value. He was in the most dominant stable in NXT history, um, former multi-time tag champion, and he just looked like a, a jobber here. Unless... Plain and simple. Unless this is as part of a wider plan, Bobby Fish will actually reveal himself to be another member of Diamond Mine next week. And this is all a way to sucker Kashida in. I'll go out. I'll challenge one of you guys. You'll beat me. That's, oh, that's dumb. That's dumb. They've already got like a three-on-one advantage and someone's getting kicked in the face, in the head. Oh, yeah. It's dumb. Even, even if that's the case, it will be dumb. Uh, right, Karrion Cross was uh, warming up for his, his title defence, hitting the heavy bag, what, Samoa Joe, 
dressed in a referee shirt, explains the rules of the match to him, obeys commands, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Cross doesn't respond and acknowledge that this has happened. So Joe just twats the back himself and gets in Cross's face. And uh, Cross responds by saying, don't cost me the bloody match, basically. And uh, Joe went, oh, I'll just take that as a, a thing that you uh, understand where we are at with this. Sid, you rolled your eyes. Anything you want to say about this? Uh, no, I, I can't really remember it. I was just rolling my eyes in anticipation of the main event. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about a match that I uh, sense you probably enjoy because all three of us really, really like Saray. Uh, and she faced Gigi Dolin, the former Priscilla Kelly here. Uh, back and forth encounter when all of a sudden Mandy Rose, of all people, I suppose I can say returns to NXT. She didn't do a lot as far as I can remember on TV. It was very quickly up to the main roster with what they called Absolution with Paige and all that. Yeah, Briefly briefly involved in NXT, but she re- technically returned to NXT to, I don't know, scout talent. We'll get into that in a second. Um, they, they, they beat the crap out of each other in response to it all. And Saray, oh! That drop kick, man, it nails a Gigi Dolin uh, as she's uh, in the ropes with that stiff-looking bloody drop kick uh, and that awesome suplex to uh, to get the victory over Gigi Dolin. Sige, Saray, terrifying in her offence. And what on earth is going on with Mandy Rose? The match was okay, I think. Um, Gigi Dolin obviously needs work, but there's a certain crispness to her um, work that I think that can be refined. There's a worker there and they sought in some way to establish that without burying the lead. Like as a, another gentle soft launch of the Saray character, it worked just fine. Um, fine is, you know, boring, but you know, it kind of worked. And that drop kick is so great. It is so fantastic. Um, legitimately with that one move and she's not just a moves wrestler, but what a move to get over and to like plant yourself in the memory of the people watching. Does Gigi Dolan have a Marilyn Manson knockoff theme? I think she <laughs> does. I think that's possibly the worst idea a North American promotion has ever done. I can't recall the song. Hopefully, um, someone in the replies, there's a definite Marilyn Manson knockoff theme. And why on earth would you do that in 2021? Absolutely ridiculous. Um, as for Mandy Rose, I've got no idea, but that's the point. They want you to speculate and think what on earth she's doing. And again, it's just shrouded in confusion because she's was literally in a program on Monday. This is this is the thing. We we've campaigned for a while, Hamlet, for appearances, or if they're not being utilized, people like I'll just go to the obvious ones. You I talked about this in the news this morning, your Dolph Ziggler's or your Cesaro's or anyone, not necessarily to go down as mentors to to show these people how to wrestle. Ben Roy on the news said, Yeah, like when the Miz went, oh, Brian Danielson, I'll, I'll show you how to be a proper wrestler now. <laughs> but you know, it, to go down and be involved in feuds or storylines or whatever it may be. This that that I do in, agree with. They've got a surplus of talent on the main roster in certain areas, at least, and you know they could be utilized far better on on Wednesday nights. Oh, on Tuesday nights if they're not being used, they probably could also be used better on Wednesday nights. But that's an entirely different. Use better on dark. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, man. If you put Liv Morgan on dark for five weeks, she'd be class. Mm. Um, <laughs> but but Mandy Rose, it, I thought she was challenging for the tag titles. Hamlet. Yeah, like. I'm an advocate for Vic Joseph screaming what's Slapjack doing in the CWC as much as the next man. Um, but yeah, this was an odd an odd choice. Um, a concession, perhaps, 
for the the damage we discussed on the preview yesterday that like the call-ups did to the the booking of the women's division and a free hit perhaps for for Triple H. It's like like Cedric says, you don't know, but you're not supposed to. And they will have hoped that Mandy Rose with a bit of main roster glow would have brought some attention to NXT this Main roster glow. Yeah, I know. I know it's like this this uh, this show badly lacks any attention of any kind. Like the ratings for the Great American Bash prove that. And uh, and I do wonder if like like I, we've had previous attempts to just supplant somebody from the main roster and try and drag her in, and like that started to die in 2020. So I'm not sure it'll work for them, but might get a bit of conversation. I care about Mandy Rose and Dana Brooks tag title match probably about as much as Mandy Rose does. So if anything, that felt quite true. If I was her, I'd want to be anywhere else, but in that feud. So I feel like it's quite a good kayfabe character choice to pop back to NXT. The it, the match was this is quite an NXT thing but it's not one that I hate. Uh, the Cerise, it's a bit on the nose. She comes out and she's quite nice and smiley and convivial, and then she will absolutely batter you in the last sort of 15, 20 seconds because as we've, we've seen the drop kick over and over again, but it's this array of like really dangerous suplexes and throws and urinages and the like that she's got. Um, they do have something with her, mm. and you kind of felt that way from the very beginning that they do have something. Um, booking will almost certainly be neglectful based on precedent with... Japanese wrestlers, but yeah, they'll they're building something probably quite special with her. She's like you look at her and you look up and down the women's division and you can see her as a like a definite future women's champion. Mm. And you can't really say that about all the recent ones that have come through. So they do have something with her. Right, let's move on with Santos Escobar and Dexter Loomis. There was a promo from Santos Escobar leading into this, uh, and the story of this match was. Don't forget Dexter Lewis is a creepy bastard. Uh, at the beginning of the match, he does his, you know, spooky eyes entrance. Not spooky, just unblinking, I suppose. Uh, Santos Escobar tries to do the old get him to flinch thing. Lewis does not move. Um, early on, Lewis gets sent to the outside and Santos Escobar takes the referee and effectively tells the rest of Legada del Fantasma to, to go and, you know, take him out. So he's a definite heel again now, I suppose. Um, but when they get round there, He's disappeared, but he's not uh, Little Miss Bliss on uh, Monday Night Raw. He's crawled under the ring and he tries to drag Escobar underneath it, but uh, Wilder Mendoza save him from that. Escobar later on goes for the, the three amigos. Uh, Loomis counters it, but then he gets hit with a backstabber from, from Escobar. Uh, Loomis eventually fights back, clotheslines, bulldog. Uh, he uh, hits, hits a, I think it's called the silencer. It's that on uh, uh, on Escobar, but Mendoza pulls him out of the ring and that allows Wilde to nail Loomis into the post with his shoulder. Escobar hits the phantom driver for the one, two, three. And post-match, as Legada del Fantasma are walking to the back, there's a confrontation with Hit Row, of course, featuring Swerve, who is your North American champion. I'll get to what happened just after that when they recapped it in due course. But your thoughts on the match, Hamlet? Um boring it was a styles clash that didn't work um but my expectations were low because i'm not sure who exactly dexter lemus can actually work with mm. um we've seen folk that have been like able to work miracles in the past but not many of them can work them with dexter lemus and escobar was no different here unfortunately what this match told us as you pointed out is that escobar is the heel like he worked against the baby face and he used his partners to help him uh, cheat in the well as best as they could, obviously, despite Loomis's weird magical powers and you know, spooky hiding abilities, but like spooky hiding like, abilities, <laughs> he's, the baddie, he's, he's the baddie again. 
Santos Escobar's the baddie again. So, for the love of God, does that mean at least Hit Row are turning babyface? Because I cannot stomach another feud between obvious heels. I, like, I, I didn't get any babyface vibes from Hit Row in the standoff. I just thought everybody's just being this bland, middle-of-the-road NXT version of themselves. But I need good guys, and I thought that was the point with, like the recent Escobar and Phantasma stuff, I thought we were like being led to believe that they were turning and this match almost sent us back the other way. So does that mean Hit Row's turning? I don't know. And this is the difference between this and the Mandy Rose. I don't know. I feel like I was supposed to. If I'm going to invest in this feud, I'm supposed to know who it is that I should be rooting for. Mm. And thus far, it's nobody. Can I talk about both things? What? Which what, when you The say match about? and the post-match. We'll get to the post-match. Talk about oh, the match. You know what? Loomis, for two minutes, was like, bloody hell. Nice little athletic kip, kip up. A tiny bit of animation and fire when he did the test press. This wasn't a completely plodding, boring, methodical Loomis match. Like By Loomis standards, this is actually canny good, but those standards are those standards. Wilborn, I would like to talk about it, so do your thing. Okay, so we had a brief uh, sit-down interview with Wade Barrett and uh, Kyle O'Reilly, who uh, admitted, you know, he lost to to Adam Cole, of course, in the main event of last week. Uh, but they'll definitely fight again, and uh, it'll be sometime, somewhere. But uh, he will be the guy to finish Adam Cole. Back to uh, LA Knight and uh, Cameron Grimes. He's told him to cut this massive lawn. There's a big tractor there with a, you know, a grass cutter on the back of it. He says, oh, no, you can't do that. You have to use the old classic, you know, single person pushing lawnmower with some blades on it thinks it's going to you know ruin his day but in fact Cameron Grimes loves it because his grandmother used to chase him on it uh with it should I say and uh yes then we go back to see Indy Hotwell come to Dexter Loomis's aid uh index still a thing she tries to carry him to the back just like he did for her the previous week but she drops him but there's a moment as they're recovering on the floor, looking into each other's eyes. We're going to get it, Michael Sidgwick. They're going to... The kiss is finally going to happen. And then Candice LeRae stops true love. She tackles Indy Hartwell as she's going in for the kiss. And uh, the bastards, they're making us wait, basically. I want to talk about... Sorry, I did. I forgot that happened, if I'm being perfectly honest, so it couldn't have made that much of an impression on me. I'm sorry, your dramatic reading was so good, as it always is. But I'm thinking when I see Hit Row and Legado del Fantasma stare one, stare one another down on the ramp, I'm thinking I cannot wait for the sort of all heel program with which pro wrestling has flourished for years and years and years. And what, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? It's so bad. The ratings are terrible. And it's because they're pumping out nonsense like this that is impossible to emotionally invest in. As for the kiss, quite well done because they're going to baby face. It's, will they, won't they? Mileage on which will vary. I like it. Mm. it makes me feel like a human being and uh, very little else does. Um, so that's good. And wrapped around it, this nonsensical thing, that's not really wrestling-y. Indy Hartwell, baby face versus Candice the Ray heel is a really good program because mm. Candice can really bring Indy along in the ring. And Indy's got this quality, this irreverent comedic quality to her that I think she can probably get over to a level. So that's all good. It's just the equivalent of the cock block, the minge and fringe. <laughs> God. Oh. 
Never heard that one. Well, I made it up, that's why. Um, <laughs> get what they're doing. And it's good that they are depriving you of the happy moment to make mm-hmm. you want the happy moment more in a way that will build towards a pro wrestling program. All of this is quite nice. Except I forgot that it happened when Will won through to me, so I don't know how much I can possibly play <laughs> to care about it. Can't wait for another all-heel program, though. Anything you want to say about the, the O'Reilly promo as well, Hamlet? Uh, no, because it's I, it's I, I've I've run out of ways to be on board to critically analyze this Kyle O'Reilly babyface character. I don't. I don't like his hair. I was staring at the back of his head this week. I was like, get up it, shave them sideburns. You know, like that. I just, <laughs> I, I don't get him. Um, like I like the Adam Cole. It was a rebuttal of sorts, I guess, but it was the kind of thing Adam Cole could have said without Kyle saying this first. I don't know. Like, was this another overhaul? Was this his second repackaging since the end of the Undisputed Era? Have we gone from, was Cool Kyle some sort of red herring and now we're going to get real babyface Kyle? But then before Cool Kyle, there was original babyface Kyle that was getting his face smashed in by Finn Balor. Like this feels like the second or third attempt mm. to figure out Kyle O'Reilly the babyface. Um, and it already felt like it's failing. I, I don't know. I don't want to like, I don't want to dive on Kyle O'Reilly or jump on his gimmick anymore because I feel like quite critical of him quite a lot on this podcast. But I'm just not connecting. Mm. I'm not connecting with it at all. And I don't know what the hell this was, if I'm being absolutely perfectly honest here. I don't know if there was the hint that, well, know, maybe I should just go heal again. I don't know if I was meant to take from him all but saying that mm. and then go, oh, no, don't, Kyle. Don't. If you just fight through a few more battles fairly, you'll win the day. I don't know if I was meant to think that, or if I was meant to think, hey, you were cooler when you were playing air guitar. <laughs> I agree. Just be a heel again. Like I really don't know what I was meant to think from that because when Wade Barrett suggested, I'll oh, so you're going to be a dickhead again. He's like, no, no, I didn't say that. Said, well, you did. I'm just confused. I'm just legitimately confused. And then I realised that Road Dog's writing the copy, so it's like, well... <laughs> yeah, of course I am. <laughs> of course I'm confused. It's got brainwaves. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
First round match of the NXT breakout tournament was next. It was the command zero. Get all right. I wasn't I'm always worried. Versus Vink. Well, Duke Bloody Hudson, but Vink in our hearts. He's always going to be, there's going to be Slapjack. There's going to be Vink. That's, 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 that's <laughs> all you want, WWE. Um, I, I, I thought this was going one way and it didn't. I'll be honest, Michael Sidgwick, because, uh, Zero uh, wore the, the colourful jacket and they said people had voted for it for him to wear it. And uh, he even did a lovely Sajiri callback uh, with a tarantula in the ropes. Uh, the man who I've subsequently read trained him, obviously. Um, he goes for a, a vaulting chop, but Hudson catches him, suplex, massive uppercut. Hudson goes for the razor's edge. Uh, Hero, uh, Giro sneaks out of it, block, uh, it, throws him into the turnbuckle, uh, Knocks him outside, and then Jiro hits a massive moonsault over there. Jiro's nailing him with kicks for the finish. We all, I all thought this was going one way, and then all of a sudden, Hudson hits him with what is effectively the boss man slam. I think it was called the Winds of Change, that finisher. And I love it. Vink's got a win, Sige, but I, 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 what, what about Jiro? He was great. I think maybe the idea was, hey, deep down... They're all breakout stars. I think that was meant to be the, the premise behind this match of like one guy wins, but the other guy shines in defeat. And, you know, maybe they're all worth keeping an eye on, guys. Maybe they're all, you know, it's how we're booking it. Um, without being absolutely blown away by the quality of the match or in love with these characters, I didn't, abs- I didn't hate this at all. I don't understand why Vink isn't on the main roster already like a year ago. His... Delivery was so confident and smooth in his uh, pre-tape. He wasn't like a blow-away great wrestler, but I've seen some six-foot-five lummoxes in my time, and he could effectively base for a much smaller guy. He could take the sort of moves that are prevalent in modern pro wrestling without it looking ridiculously clumsy or uncoordinated. Like, I still can't tell whether it's a bit superficial, his act, or whether there's a worker there, but Jesus Christ, he's six foot five. Can you not get Vince to find out? <laughs> <laughs> it's so class how Vince, ah, I don't want to watch NXT. I'm just going to, like, Vince would prefer to watch someone on main event than NXT, which is absolutely brilliant <laughs> with the whole Karrion Cross and Bronson Reed deal. Like, I'm convinced he's never watched. Well, I mean, there's enough mounting evidence that he's never seen a single second of NXT programming because, I mean, he has seen Vink, but he hasn't seen this Vink. He hasn't mm. seen Vink do a promo, and it's just like, he should be on the main roster. It's Vince's lad. Ty Conti. It's like, why wasn't she on Raw Smackdown? Like, he's obviously never watched it or seen her face before. Um, but yeah, like, this isn't, this is probably the high point of the show for me. I'd say it's probably more about the show than the high point. <laughs> yeah, I like the match. Um, you know, Vink's massive. So, so it's not really about like where or who's Vink, but I need to know who. Duke Hudson is like this was a problem like it's the inherent problem of the breakout tournament actually like you can't wrestling is not you know wrestling have to have arsenals and stuff but also like a unique selling point is important and yeah we take the piss a little bit but like Ikemajiro has got one he wrestles in a jacket there's there's a takeaway from a guy that potentially I know he's appeared on NXT here and there but if you've only ever watched this show potentially you know nothing about him you now know something is that he wrestles in a jacket um He's got this um, history with Tajiri that is a, a recognisable name to most of NXT's fan base. So there's just like little things that you can latch onto. You can't really for Duke Hudson. 
and they have decided to use a breakout tournament to say, oh, look at this big guy, look at his size. Forget about that weird period of Raw earlier last year. Like, it's it's this guy now. And it's why a tournament doesn't work for that, because I don't know who he is. I don't know what the character is. I know nothing of him. Like, six foot five, Australian. Like, it's it's not really enough to invest long-term. I like this as a standalone thing. I agree with Cedric. It's probably the best thing on the show. But I don't have any thirst or clamour to see any more of it. So it's not selling me on the next thing. And that's part of the job of a match like this and of a tournament like the breakout tournament. So I get that. I feel like it was a failed endeavour. Um, but I quite like watching them try. Mm. I guarantee if if Vince was actually watching NXT and he saw Giro, he'd go, well, obviously put him with Angel Garza because then you've got the jacket guy and the trousers guy. And then <laughs> they're called trousers and jacket. Or Where is Angel Garza? Yeah. I've no idea. It's wild how just these things that no one care about slip through the net. The uh, the uh, the florists in Florida are like, what's going on? We were selling out of roses the other week, and now if you watch a raw from three weeks ago and imagine doing that, like I'd rather die, I think. Um, but it's just another topic for another day. Continuity is just absolutely pathetic. But um, Jiro with Seamus when he's like hitting people really hard by mistake and call them jacket potatoes. I noticed I went for hard hitting and not the low hanging stereotype. I was going to say, just do a Blink-182 reference and call them take off your trousers and jacket. So yeah, there we go. There's a there's, there's definite scope for something there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Uh, right. <laughs> so a preview AEW, yeah. Oh, grab a spoon. <laughs> uh, right, backstage interview with Pluto and uh, Oni Lorcan. Uh, Don says I'm the best technician in the world. Uh, and Timothy Thatcher says, "Load of bollocks, that is. I'm here." And then Tommaso Champa just like I don't know, just uh, the leash taken off him. And he flies in, massive brawl. Good to see, good to see Samoa Joe being brought in has really calmed things down. And and this, is, this was inevitable, wasn't it? Absolutely inevitable. Like what a ridiculous premise for a character on a wrestling show, much less this wrestling show. He's going to bring in someone else and be like, okay, anytime Joe's busy with someone else, you're now the, the, the security here. From with this uh, wrestling show built on conflict is that there's too much conflict. So. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, Dunn, Lorcan, Thatcher and Champa, yeah, looking forward to that, Sige. Yeah, absolutely. And I just said, like, I don't usually like when a baby face just does something without being provoked, but like Champa's just tits. It's class. Just a hard bastard who suffers no fools. So I really enjoyed this, actually. Champer and Thatcher's particular brand of violence somehow almost feels wholesome. You know, by yes. like kind of the, the, the fact that like he was kind of making the save for the friend. It was like, yeah, good. Thank you for trying to right the world by smashing someone's teeth out. Like it's it's strange how those two things marry up with one another. It's 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 nice. I get a nice feeling watching the grisly, ugly things that Champer and Thatcher do. It shouldn't work, but it does. But the fact that the out of Champer and Thatcher, Thatcher's the one going, "Hey guys, let's talk about this <laughs> madness." But anyway, yeah, a, 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 a mouth-watering prospect going forward. Uh, and then we got what could well be the last match of the well. What, what we know as the Robert Stone brand. It was uh, Aaliyah and Jesse Camilla versus Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro. Uh, Carter and Catanzaro 
just look great together in the ring as always. Uh, the finish sees a car hit uh, Aaliyah with a super kick. She gets her up in a neck breaker and Catanzaro hits a wild 450 splash uh, at the same time to get the victory for Car and Catanzaro. But the story here, uh, Michael Hamflet, was, was post-match where Robert Stone comes in, very nice looking scarf he had on. He tries to help Aaliyah up and, and reassure her, but she's furious. She's had enough, basically. She's just loss after loss after loss as part of the Robert Stone brand. She yells at him. She says, I've done more for you than, than anyone. And then she slaps him and beats the crap out of him, punts him in the stomach, kicks him all over the ring, basically. Uh, and the crowd really do get behind her. Post-match, uh, sorry, post the beatdown, uh, Stone is crawling to the outside to recover. Jesse Camille is still there. But then down comes Frankie Monet, who, uh, well, leads the two of them. And certainly Robert Stone, uh, the back of this uh, backstage, more of this uh, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. But uh, nice reaction for Aaliyah, I thought here, Hamlet. Oh, I guess so. All of this felt like it should have stayed on dark, to be honest. Oh, no, wait, this is WWE. This is their version of dark. Like, there, it just doesn't feel like a pressing concern. Like the Robert Stone brand and its failings. Like, why, why isn't Aaliyah turned 50 times in the last year if this is her <laughs> tipping point? This is like she has failed over and over and over again without even a sniff of like accidentally failing upwards as part of the Robert Stone brand. So it's just so out the blue that it didn't feel remotely earned. Um, the match was nothing to write home about. I generous, perhaps, but yeah, Katanzara and Kane and Carter just have their chemistry and like it's they're just so low rent. Like the act is so low rent, even if some of the work is good or even if you're there to be dazzled. This was far from dusty cup stuff from them. Um, and let's be honest, the match existed to service the angle anyway. Um, the big takeaway is that this is a relegation, a demotion for Frankie Monet. That's what this is. Like whatever they thought they had in terms of her original build and those two matches she had as a way to present her. Um, it's not like a hard reset or anything, but it's a demotion. It's having to think of a new way to get the best out of her. They've not gone off her, but I don't think they see her maybe as somebody that can be the straw that stirs the drink in the women's division issues that matter. So I think they're going to try and do this instead. Yeah, let's not forget that she was interacting with Io Shirai. That feels like a lifetime ago at this point. Um, so this just feels like a way, and it's not, it's broadly okay. It's a storytelling deal wherein her very manipulative character has now managed to procure two heaters from an idiot who she will utilise to advance up the card. That's all fine. I just don't care about it. Um, Carter and Catanzaro, like, I can imagine them working this type of match in this kind of spot with this kind of frequency, i.e., what, every three to four to five weeks, just until the end of time. Like, I feel like I've seen this exact kind of performance from them with zero advancement for the past, like, two, three years. Just the absolute epitome of stagnation, these two. Like, what else do you do with them? It's a valid point. Let's go back to it with Aaliyah. She was on Breaking Ground, man. That was 2015. Mm. Like, Breaking Ground was the show that toasted Tyler Breeze call up to the main roster. He's had his main roster run and been released, and Aaliyah is still developing. And he went back to NXT as well. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if I'm trying to, you know, find a compliment in here, it's just nice to see Casey Catanzaro following the rules. Um, backstage later on with all this, 
Uh, we had uh, a run-in with Frankie Monet, Jesse Camere, and uh, yeah, a beaten down Robert Stone. And then Mandy Rose is there. Uh, Mandy Rose says, oh, looks like the Robert Stone brand is under new management. Yeah, is, is that, well, how's Robert Stone going to factor into all this, Hamlet? I don't know, man. Like, do they know at this point? Like, yeah. is this, is this, does, does Mandy Rose look at Robert Stone having the worst night of his career in NXT and think, what we need on the main roster is a manager? And we, this is like Robert Stone's exit path from NXT to join Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, just to become like another part of one of the more dislikable acts on the show. Um, is it? I, I don't know. I like honestly don't know. I'm I'm not quite convinced that this Mandy Rose thing wasn't a super last minute deal, and they're kind of they've kept this. It's not even intriguing. They've kept it vague to try and like uphold the veneer of it being intriguing. I, I like I'll welcome being proved wrong but I'm not quite sure yet they have a, a full direction for all of this. I think they've just, they've just gone, they've just heard someone's called Stone and gone, well, we're bringing The Rock back soon. So yeah, we'll just get him on the main roster anyway. <laughs> oh, God. We'll work something out when we get there. Um, Johnny Gargano with a boy popper segment backstage. He's getting ready for his match in a very different way to, to carry and cross. Uh, just, uh, just trying to give or sell Samoa Joe a new T-shirt, which Joe... No cells, rolls his eyes, walks out, and has a, a shrug off, I suppose, with Pete Dunn. Anything you want to say here, Sige? Nah. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what, there is something I want to say, and it feeds into the next segment. Like, there's an argument that you probably shouldn't rely on the insider knowledge much of your audience has to build a program that, in theory, you want to be number one on cable. We want millions and millions upon millions of people to watch. Um, therefore, you should broaden everything. But like, surely that was the hook. Our Karen Cross has been our main event. Let's build loads of drama around that. And then you have Gargano ahead of a title match, ahead of a world title match. Hawk and a t-shirt is a priority. Like, piss off. I knew instantly where this was going after that. Mm. And again, you probably shouldn't let your knowledge of what goes on backstage affect or impact your enjoyment of the show. But when I saw Bronson Reed, I'm just thinking, what the hell's going on? Like, why did he lose the title? More to the point as a character, why did he agree to an impromptu match? Hmm. Why was he made to do, why was he made rather to um, defend in an impromptu match? Because that just made him look like an idiot. Like, what is going on in this organization? Why is Which he not asked? It's a heavily ironic name for whatever WWE, WWE is now, incidentally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why is he not asked about a rematch? We'll get to that in a second because we have the final part of the uh, Cameron Grimes, LA Knight, Butler thing this time. <laughs> Cameron Grimes is not in his tuxedo anymore. He's in his pants. He's sat in his speedos by the pool, just chillaxing, having a little drink, basically. LA Knight comes in. He's furious. What's going on? I thought I've got, I told you all these chores to do. And Cameron Grimes goes, yeah, getting the chores done. But don't forget, I'm a millionaire as well. So I just paid some kids to do it instead. <laughs> and they're there just doing, you know, sweeping, cutting the lawn, sweeping up, raking leaves, etc. outside. A kid comes in, all pally-pally with Cameron Grimes. Uh, it's done, done, sir. Oh, thanks very much. Was it 300, 400, 500? Who cares? Um, but Knight tells no. You're not doing that. We're not paying the kids. You're not getting anything. So the kid kicks, kicks LA Knight in the leg, runs off. And Cameron Grimes, I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to do. He sweep up a bit. Sweeps. Regardless, he 
accidentally connects with with LA Knight and knocks him into the pool, pratfall into there, and then there's the shot of Cameron Grimes going, "Is everything all right, sir?" Because earlier on, LA Knight had told him to address him in certain ways. It was, you know, classic slapstick, but yeah, I mean, good more of this sort of thing, Sage. I guess I like it. I like it. I like it. It's amusing in the most ephemeral way possible. Mm. Yeah, light relief, but it's feather light. <laughs> it's, <laughs> not, it's not much to, like not much meat on the bone here at all. Uh, in, next, it was uh, Adam Cole came down to do a, 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 a I told you so, effectively, promo. He uh, celebrates beating Kyle O'Reilly and, uh, as we suggested, said, yeah, all you bloody idiots out there, an unsanctioned match means... The, that doesn't really count. So 1-0. Uh, he said he's proved he's the greatest NXT superstar in history. Uh, he mocks O'Reilly. Uh, he's going to say he's going to embarrass him again. And then he turns his attention to Samoa Joe. He's furious about him choking him out a few weeks back and letting Kyle O'Reilly just torture his leg with that figure four uh, heading into their, their match at the Great American Bash, of course. Uh, and he calls Joe a coward and an overpaid security guard. Uh, continued by saying no one in the back is man enough to face him when out comes Bronson Reed of all people he says look I know you're a master of mind games and manipulating someone with something to lose well I've got anything to lose I've lost my uh, North American championship and all eyes are on what my next move is going to be you Adam Cole are NXT's golden boy and you are my golden opportunity. Adam Cole goes to super kick Bronson Reed who catches it. Uh, he goes to, to Larry M. Cole ducks out of the way and then Reed splashes Adam Cole who legs it out of the ring. And uh, as he's furiously mouthing off and walking to the back, he is crossing paths with Samoa Joe who uh, has a brief stare down with him. Not what I expected them to do next with, uh, with Adam Cole or with Bronson Reed, Michael Hampler. No, um, it's all right. This it's okay. It's um, it's TV program fodder for a TV match. You know, I, I, this doesn't make it to a takeover level or anything. I think it's the we all made the assumptions about Bronson Reed getting the call up, and that's not to say that he won't have one as a result of this. This could be a swan song program for him. Or it could be that Vincent Mann has changed his mind and he's staying put and now he's got no belt. So they have to come up with a justification. <laughs> it's not harsh, like, but... Took the belt off the guy because we're losing him and now we've got him back and now he's got no belt. So as a concession, they've given him a feud with Adam Cole. <laughs> Sorry about your belt, Branson. Like, we'll give you Adam Cole instead. <laughs> um, <What's your> deal? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... He's like, like saying, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Sell, sell your house and we'll move you into this nice new house. Oh, sorry, we sold that house. We've got this nice <laughs> caravan if you want to stay in there. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what they did do, because this is marginally, marginally better than SmackDown and Raw, is they found a reason for Bronson Reed to target Adam Cole. Like, I didn't mind the pro, I didn't mind his in-character justification for why he would be coming at Adam Cole. Um, Cole, as a cheap shot artist, gave you just about enough of a hook for a match. It's it's not like high-level stuff. I can't pretend it is. But they'll probably, like, they'll arrive at an OK TV match as a result of this. It's just, it's weird to try and map Bronson Reed's trajectory now. <sighs> Oh, sorry, I was legitimately on there. I'm not trying to do a bit <laughs> of the dick. One thing I'll say about a puzzling setup that it's difficult to analyze the Bronson Reed character's motivations with everything else going on. Um, 
clouding a judgment or just wondering, like, are we even going to get this match? Is he going to just be called up a la Knox next week? There was no Knox on this show whatsoever, by the way. So, Jesus Christ. It's just, it's a hard to analyze show with how chaotic the blurred lines between NXT and WWE's main roster are, if you like. One thing I'll say that is nice is that, with apologies to Ikeman Jiro and Vink, um, Adam Cole's promo was the best thing on this show, realistically. He had like a, a glint in his eye. Mm. He felt like he was dialed into his character and overjoyed that he'd won the match and that he was in a high spot again in a featured role um, that people were into. It just looked like legitimately the only major league thing on this show. Like the only vaguely major league thing on the show was Adam Cole cutting the promo. Main event time. The NXT Championship is on the line. It's Karrion Cross versus Johnny Gargano with Samoa Joe as the special guest referee. But as Sidge alluded to, by the time we got to this point in the show, this match was only ever going to go one way. But Gargano did get some decent offense in, uh, but it was very futile in parts. Uh, he jumps Cross before the bell, but Cross fights him off and suplexes him immediately. Um, Gargano counters him. Uh, sent on off the apron, Cross just no-sells it, no-sells it and, and takes him down on the outside. Gargano's leaning up against the steps, Cross runs at him, uh, but uh, Gargano dodges out the way and, and Cross smashes into them, but immediately shakes that off and, oh, with an awkward-looking bump, throws Gargano into the announce desk, like his, his back hit the edge of the desk, which was, oh, not pretty. Um, after the after the commercials, we've got a Gargano comeback, uh, he had a slingshot spear for a two-count, uh, dive again through the ropes here. Crowd chants his name. He goes for one final beat, but Cross uh, turns it into a Northern Lights suplex, Fisherman suplex, uh, and then gets Gargano on the top turnbuckle. Tries to Saito suplex him off that, but Gargano uh, reverses and splashes him. Gargano eats a choke slam, but then fights back and it's a super kick. Uh, Cross goes for the straight jacket. Gargano reverses that into the Gargano escape, but Cross powers out and gets him in the straight jacket. Gargano just able to grab the ropes and Cross uses all of that five count until well, Joe basically has to pull Cross off of Gargano and they go face to face. Cross so remembers where he is, remembers what's going on and continues to murder Johnny Gargano outside, smashing him into the barrier, into the ring steps. Oh, no, sorry. He goes to get the ring steps. I do apologise. Uh, but Joe takes them out of his hands because what are you thinking? Uh, they face off again and that allows Gargano to hit a diving DDT on the outside and one final beat uh, when they get back into the ring. But Cross kicks out at two, uh, dodges, or dodges a super kick, forearms to uh, Johnny Gargano, triple powerbomb, Saito suplex, another running forearm, one Two, three. Carrion Cross retains the NXT Championship. And there's still time left on this show for a stare down between Samoa Joe and Carrion Cross. Joe goes to walk away. Scarlett is trying to sort of hold back Carrion Cross. But as soon as Joe turns his back, Cross jumps on him, snatches the life right out of him, chokes him out, and stands tall at the end of the show, screaming at Joe as the show goes off the air, that Samoa Joe brought this on himself. Carrion Cross chokes out Samoa Joe, but he's still NXT champion, Michael Hamflet. Oh, God. Um, it's a good job, like, that these two, NXT and AEW, aren't going head-to-head anymore. Not just because even less people have watched NXT than already are. But, like, Kenny Omega is the in-character version of my real-life feelings on Carrion Cross. Like, I need 
Hangman Page to save the soul of AEW and that belt because Kenny Omega is this megalomaniac clown that also happens to be like class in the ring and it's like it's a it's not just that he's an arsehole but like it's going to take somebody really special to beat him and stop him being such a an arsehole like Karen Cross is just like those are my feelings but it's for real like I'm going to cheer when this belt takes off him because I feel like he's just got in mind Samoa Joe he's got this frigging show by a chokehold like this match was dull man and like I do think that they kind of like it was undermined by the Johnny Gargano stuff earlier on that like uncomfortable you know what it was the t-shirt thing and the oh god Bronson Reed's still here nothing's changing oh no <laughs> like so it just informed the pace and the feeling of this match of which had none of the drama that we hoped it would because of not knowing because of what we felt was information about the wrestlers beyond the storylines not a great storyline dull dull match um Gargano like nobody can do this with Karrion Cross because Johnny Gargano can't. I'm happy to say that now because I consider Gargano something of a benchmark in this sort of situation. This was as two and three quarter star television wrestling as you get when the standard is about four for a NXT or AEW main event now. You know, that's about the standard. And this was well, well below that. I thought Cross um, looked knackered. I thought he looked like blown up pretty quick which for all that we can criticize about him being kind of boring or being a bit one-dimensional that's not something that you usually see so i don't know if he was just having an off night um the drama was never there never there the fans couldn't invest because there was never any clear line drawn between heel and babyface gargano i think tried early on i thought the stuff that they were setting up early just like cross constantly lobbing him around lobbing him out of the ring and just like putting the boots to him i thought it was supposed to give the impression that gargano was a baby face but i don't think that ever really came across from the audience the audience never read it as such so there was no sense of drama all of it uncomfortably built to cross versus joe and then we actually got it i thought at least all those teases between cross and joe were just going to be something about oh cross is just so intense but no it's actually for an on the nose program between the two Cross has gone from being the lesser of one program to being the lesser of another. I would rather see Joe versus Cole than Joe versus Cross. And now here we are. Quite the come down in main event, Sige, from compared to last week. Oh, Christ almighty, yes. Um, right. He gets buried all over the place carrying Cross. But apart from that powerbomb thing on the table, which is probably a timing error, or he's just got way too hyped up before smashing him against it, because it looked brutal, but not in like the, oh, that looked class, but like, oh, looked a bit class, but you know, it's, it's probably not good news for his back. <laughs> Other than that, carrying Cross simply does not meet the way the character is booked on the format sheet. I've got this thing about wrestlers, right? And I won't go into detail, Hamlet, you don't either because sometimes that can be a bit harsh when I talk about them privately. But certain wrestlers move weird, and it annoys me. <laughs> like, I'm a Bret Hart guy. Did anyone move better than Bret Hart? No. It's the way he just, his footwork, his posture, the way he would patrol the ring, the snap on everything he did. He just felt like he was born to be a professional wrestler. I just expect everyone to be Bret Hart. I've got other interests, you know. Like, I could just play on computer games, I could watch films, I could just listen to music. Like, I'm choosing my time to do this. <laughs> Karen Cross's moves weird. And, like, I'm not being funny, but, like, he's not the most athletic of dudes, right? But beyond that, his character, and I'm assuming he practices mixed martial arts in his spare time and whatever as a hobby, but, like, his character is meant to be a trained killer. And yet, 
I can see him thinking about things. He takes DDTs in the most clumsy and like virtually arthritic of ways. Like the way he just, I can see him thinking constantly when he's doing those kinds of spots. And it's like, you're meant to be this trained killer. Uh, And you know what? Like, I don't think Johnny Gargano as an individual performance is absolutely great in this match either. Like, it's shocking to go and say, all right, can you get three and three out of him? Basically, you have to do five stars. He does his two and a half, and it will, like, average out with three and three. Like, he whiffed some kicks. The thigh slaps, even by Gargano standards, were obvious. I don't think either guy performed well individually. The match is badly lacking in drama, heat, urgency, anything. Like, a dynamic, uh, just shit, man. Uh, it's a carrying cross problem on the show. There has been for quite some time, and this match did not solve it one bit. The post-match, again, hard to analyze. Is he cleared or not? And like, it's one of those things where if you're analyzing this from the perspective of someone who keeps abreast of insider backstage news, the dirt, whatever bollocks you want to call it, then you could be mystified and you're going to be a little bit like confused about what can happen, what is going to happen, what or didn't that already happen? But if you're a casual, you're watching a bunch of heels wrestle each other and you're thinking, all right, I don't like any of this. Switch off. <laughs> I suppose the only saving grace is the fact, Sid, that maybe we are going to get, obviously, hopefully, Cross and Joe. And he's one of the few people you could buy taking that title off Cross if they are going to move into the main roster. I mean, I would be a decent transitional champion. Like, his return to NXT did genuinely create a conversation. A lot of people were really happy about it. I obviously wasn't because I hate the authority figure trope now, but there are... Worse things this brand can do than do that. Just imagine them sacking him for being bad at his job. I was like, well, the brawls have kind of carried on and you're in, in half of them as well. So <laughs> yeah, you've been released, but we're going to bring you back as a wrestler. And he's lasted like a month in this role or something. It was just their way to bring him back. I, the Joe thing to me, and it's just, it's not happening. And I, I find it weird. There's not been many conversations about how Samoa Joe is in NXT when he was released from WWE. I think that's interesting still. I like it's the, there's virtually no separation between the two anymore. And yet that appears to be one. Somebody was triple H. Is he given like five decisions a year or something now? Like, cause he lost all power apart from being given like three wishes. And one of them was <laughs> to sign Samoa. I find it interesting that Samoa Joe signed for NXT when WWE deemed him surplus. And I wonder how that might happen more or what that particularly means for NXT but it says a lot about its connection to the WWE at large that they're kind of already he's kind of feeling pretty ordinary. Yeah, intriguing. See where they go next from this. But uh, yeah, just Harrying Cross as NXT champion is clearly not doing the things that WWE wanted it to. And yeah, this for, for an NXT championship match, it'll be very interesting, A, to see that the race, this, and just generally to see the response to it because... Like you say, if Johnny Gargano can't pull something like this out of him, then, I mean, Samoa Joe versus Karen Cross is, is an exciting prospect, but only if the result goes one way, in my opinion. But let us know yours uh, on, on the developments there and on the show last night on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. 
follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We're going to have our preview for AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest Night One out later on today. But for now, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 